I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If geofences um, are a way of engaging outside of the building and attracting attention, uh, beacons are a great way of then engaging inside of the building and inspiring action. You can put them uh, over your competitor location. You can't exactly do that with beacons. Wi-Fi is very important for doing what we call passive uh, geofencing, which is still very accurate, but doesn't rely on a lot of battery power, but it does mean the user has to have Wi-Fi on. So by using geofencing, we could delay sending the communication, the survey, by a certain amount of time and ask them, you know, how do we do today? Maybe also provide an incentive for completing the survey. Um, but yeah, I mean, geofences can go up to the entire country or cities. So it can be very easy to use geofencing as a segmentation strategy. You're listening to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Ecosystem with Steve Stafford. Welcome to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Ecosystem, uh, the podcast for solution designers and location-aware entrepreneurs. My name is Steve Statler, and this week we're off to Dublin, and I am speaking to Patrick Leddy, who is the CEO of Pulsate. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Steve, for the introduction, and thank you uh, for everyone to, for tuning in and uh, to hear some of the things that we're going to be talking about today around the area of uh, geofencing. Yes, indeed. So this is a little bit of a mashup between uh, your own um, incredibly well-produced productions, the Pulsate Academy and the Mobile Monks. So uh, uh, great to see that whiteboard behind you. And it's appropriate because we're going to be doing, I wouldn't say it's Geofencing 101, I'd say it's more 201, the kind of uh, let's drill down and let's uh, look into this in some detail. And, and you were kind enough to contribute to our book, The Hitchhiker's Guide, to the Beco system, which is this kind of encyclopedia of uh, everything that solution designers need to know in the uh, proximity and lo- location space. And you did an amazing job. And I was actually rereading your chapter. And so what I decided to do was just kind of prompt you to talk around some of the things that you raised in that, because I think most people under- feel like they understand what geofencing is, but we're going to go in and talk about some of the nuances. But let's start off and tell us what is a geofence. Yeah, it's a great question, Steve. And thanks for the introduction again. I, I did have a skim over the chapter again uh, this morning just to refresh myself. And then I guess look uh, over some of the other content we've been producing around uh, location-based marketing and geofencing to make sure I have all of the, 
the latest facts and figures and everything uh, up to date and uh, to discuss today. So a geofence essentially is a, a virtual perimeter. Um, it doesn't require any hardware to be deployed, so you don't really need anything like a, a beacon. Um, you can put a geofence pretty much anywhere you want. Usually you plot them in some kind of a marketing tool on a Google map. You have a, you have a latitude and longitude of where you where you're placing the geofence and some kind of radius of accuracy. So a lot of geofencing is um, circular-based regions. They tend to be, you know, where, where, where beacons are targeting a very granular area and, and sometimes indoors. Geofences tend to be a little bit larger in the catchment area in terms of what they uh, would target. And, of course, they have the, the benefit of not needing to deploy any hardware. They're, they're a completely virtual concept. Your mobile phone can then monitor in various ways that I guess you're going to be asking me about a little bit later. Um, can monitor for your proximity to these fences and then detect when you've reached one. And then when you have, I guess we can do some interesting things like we can record when you were there, that you are there now, and we can we could just store that and we could do something with that later. Or perhaps we could do some kind of interesting uh, marketing some follow-on interaction right after you step into that fence. Very good. Um, we well, touched on a whole bunch of stuff. Let's peel some of those things back individually, yeah. and we'll we'll talk about the use cases because there's lots. Um, and you had some great suggestions in the book. So, uh, but let's just uh, look at the strengths and weaknesses. And you touched on one, which is no hardware required. Which um, you know, back in my gimbal days, when uh, when gimbal was part of Qualcomm, I was part of Qualcomm. I remember we were kind of looking at we needed to make money. We needed to make money fast. And like, how are we going to get? We've got fantastic beacons, but it takes a while to get those beacons out there. So it seems like geofencing just allows you to fast forward in some use cases, at least. What What are your thoughts on the strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. It's a great question. So I think. Um, Beacons and geofences are, are, are used, uh, can be used for very different uh, types of deployments. I generally think if you're going to use them together, uh, think of geofences as kind of like outside the building um, as a tool to kind of attract uh, people to your location, increase your footfall. If, if geofences um, are a way of engaging outside of the building and attracting attention, uh, beacons are a great way of then engaging inside of the building and inspiring action. So attracting that attention outdoors to create that awareness, whether it's brand awareness or a direct response, we want to get people to do something, maybe it's to visit us. Then when they visit the location, we combine their, their proximity or their presence. We could combine that with some CRM data so we know something about them, some contextualization. And then we might know their proximity as well through a beacon. So then we can offer up the most relevant product information in the store based on who and the products that they are near. But we initially use the geofencing technologies at a macro level to attract attention, and then the beacons at a micro level or a proximity level to inspire that action once they came into the store. So some of the pros of geofencing, as I've already mentioned, uh, they're virtual, you can place them anywhere. They're very inexpensive, naturally, since they are a virtual uh, concept. You're not gonna be deploying any hardware, there's no costs to that. There are battery costs, and I guess we'll, we'll, we'll touch up on that later. Um, so they're very easy to set up. You can, you, you can put them uh, over your competitor locations. You can't exactly do that with beacons, because that's kind of like you're sneaking into your competitor's location and bugging them out with beacons. That's not going to go down too well. But you can do that with geofences, because they are totally virtual. Beacons, um, I guess, just, just to discuss the, the, the cons of geofences as well, firstly, before I go into beacons. Um, they are, you know, a, a wider location. They're more macro 
Um, so, you know, down to usually geofences, you'd say like kind of like 100 meters is the is the, the minimum size in terms of accuracy. Some of the work that we've done in Pulsade over the last year has seen that shrink right down to maybe 20 meters of accuracy mm-hmm. and the ability to draw polygons. Uh, but generally, geofencing is, is, is kind of like for targeting larger areas. It also only works typically if you have Wi-Fi turned on on the device. There are some geofencing SDKs that run purely with GPS, meaning you don't have to have Wi-Fi on, but then you see like a battery trade-off there. So I think Wi-Fi is very important for doing what we call passive uh, geofencing, which is still very accurate, but doesn't rely on a lot of battery power, but it does mean the user has to have Wi-Fi on. So that's kind of one of the negatives of geofencing and the fact that you can't be like super granular down to five meters of accuracy with geofencing, that just won't work. And that leads us on kind of nicely to, to beacons. Um, so beacons, uh, in terms of some of their advantages, they can go down to you know a very uh, granular level of um, proximity and understanding where customers are, all the way down to maybe a meter and right down to a tap. Um, so you can do indoor positioning with them and understand the proximities of customers relative to the products, floors, and sections of that uh, of that store or of that location. Um, and also, you can, you know, with a high degree of certainty, you know the customer is there. Sometimes geofencing can throw these, you know, GPS quirks or a cell tower weirdness, and you have to kind of compensate for that. So beacons can be a little bit more reliable at times. Um, some of the drawbacks, of course, are that you need this physical hardware. It is battery operated. You have to physically go out and put the beacons up. It is a little bit of an art and a science. You have to understand about certain materials you're putting the beacons near. You have to be aware that, you know, batteries can uh, drain in the devices. You have to go out and upgrade the beacons. People can steal your beacons as well, you know. Yeah. So there are some physical drawbacks naturally to the, to the hardware. But pretty, pretty complementary. And, and you know, I look at uh, successful location apps um, like Shopkick, and they clearly use both. They, have, they put the geofence around the shopping mall, remind you that you could go in, and then they verify you've actually entered the store that's paying for that reminder with, with a beacon. So it's kind of a one-two punch. In your chapter, you had some really interesting use cases and some, as is your way, some tantalizing ways of uh, describing them. And the first one, kind of fairly straightforward, but just tell us what you had in mind when you talked about the promote, incentivize, and reward use case. Sure. So the promote, incentivize, and reward. So I guess what I was talking about there is um, geofencing can be used initially um, to attract attention and then to reach out to customers and provide them with some kind of a benefit. Um, As I said before, they really are an excellent way of reminding customers about a promotion while they've shown up for you in the physical world while they're there. Um, previously, we may have just sent a push notification. You know, like we would have, we would have done this earlier in the week, and their context maybe we didn't understand that context or we didn't know about it. So they were like at home on the couch or they're watching TV or they're in work, whatever they're doing, and suddenly they get this like notification for uh, you know an offer or a coupon or whatever it is, and they're like, oh, that's kind of vaguely interesting, and then they like. Poof, like they instantly forget. And they're probably not going to remember the next time they go near your store. Now, suddenly when we introduce geofencing to the equation, we're able to do that marketing interaction. We're able to promote what it is that we have to sell. We can incentivize them to take action at the right time and reward them when they've shown them for us in, in, in physical locations. Um, 
I'm going to cut you off because we've just got so much to get through. Because sure. I, I want you to talk about stamp out promiscuity. Uh, did you do you remember what you were talking about when you said use be, uh, use uh, geofences to stamp? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. About promiscuity. Are you sure this wasn't a different book? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Yes, no, I did write that. Um, so I guess what I meant by promiscuity is, yes, well, you know, I said before that beacons, um, you can't bug out your competitors with beacons, right? Because that will be uh, illegal. But geofences uh, being virtual, it's just like the airspace above their business. You, you can uh, place beacons in those locations. So that means that you can basically tag competitor locations and understand when customers visit those locations. So out of your CRM base of customers that are loyal, or at least that you think are loyal, you might be able to get some competitive intel on which comp- which customers are also frequenting these locations. And armed and dangerous with that information, you may not want to give them that virtual tap on the shoulder while they're there. That might be a little bit freaky. You might want to do this next time they're in your location, but having known they were at the competitor's location. You might want to make them a more tantalizing offer. You might want to show them a little bit more love than you previously have to try and put them on a corrective path that leads them back to profitability and a, and a better pattern within your own company. I mean, it's an amazing opportunity. You have uh, you know, a lot of like telcos that are obsessed by churn, but retailers now have a chance to measure how, you know, if you're a supermarket, how, what, what times is my customer going to my supermarket versus a, another supermarket? That's just, uh, and then you can play with ways of uh, getting more of their shopping basket. I'm going to kind of, we're going to do this as kind of like fairly quick ones. People can always buy the book yeah. if they want to get, get the details. But I, you had some prov- provocative use case titles. Spiking feelings of accomplishment, I thought was a good one. What, what's that? Great, yeah, and I, I've got a I've got a separate video on this on the Pulsate Academy, which talks about the the new loyal and how you know um, a lot of loyalty programs basically equate with customer bribery programs, and we're just creating functional and rational loyalty. And if we want to become brands that generate an emotional and um, connection with customers and engage that side of the brain, what's it called? The limbic side of the brain. We want to do things like spike feelings of accomplishment. So let me give you an example. And um, so if we have like a check-in feature within our app, which is essentially enabling customers to tell their social media, social media following that um, 
they're in XYZ company's locations. Well, 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 then what we could do is basically remind them that this function is here upon arrival. And we would do this with a push notification that equates to that kind of like virtual tap on the shoulder. So that will be equate with some kind of a, an Easter egg that they would unlock on the inside of the app. And then we allow them to actually convey this social status as a, as a virtual currency. So when I say spiking the feelings of accomplishment, we're helping them actually convey their status, which means that when they show up for us in the physical location, we give them that nudge that says, hey, Steve, why don't you check out, check in in the app? And then when they perform their fifth check-in, we make a big deal out of it. We say, hurrah, congratulations. You just kind of like way Foursquare used to do it. You could become the mayor with so many... Um, with so many check-ins, you may want to unlock something in the app after they've done something a number of times, but don't play it down. You want to make like a really big deal out of it and make them feel like they've really accomplished something. And because it's happened in your own brand experience, that feeling of accomplishment that you've generated, that is worth a hell of a lot more than loyalty points towards the limbic side of the brain and forging that engagement. And then if you help them, if you want to, if you want to like double down on that, if you help them convey that feeling of accomplishment or that status that they've, that they've reached in the app, if you help them convey that to others on social networks, that is another thing that will go towards building emotional uh, loyalty. Love it. What, what was ask how they feel? Ask how they feel. Okay, so I guess um, I'm talking about surveying here as well. Yeah. So a great place to ask customers, you know, what did you think about our product or company? is not at some random interval, who would have thought. Yeah. It actually is when they just experience your product or your, um, your, your service. So you know, I'll give you an example. You're, you're uh, flying with a particular airline, you land at your destination, you disembark, you get your bag, and you're leaving the airport. Now would be a great time to actually ask me, how was my flight that day? Did it arrive on time? What did I think? Were people friendly? Did I get the service that I expected? So by using geofencing, we could delay sending the communication, the survey, by a certain amount of time and ask them, you know, how do we do today? Maybe also provide an incentive for completing the survey. And we want to keep this very short because we're on mobile devices. You know, it could be a thumbs up, a thumbs down. It could be free emojis that I picked from. We've done some of that in Pulsate with some new stuff we have coming out. But don't make me fill out this like tedious form that feels like, uh, feels like torture. So I guess that's what I meant by ask them how they feel. Do it with a geofence. It's very good. It's contextual. Straight on, no time to pause. Regional campaigns. What, what, what were you talking about with regional campaigns? Here, here's what I had in, in, in my mind, sure. and uh, maybe I need to go back and, and read our book as well. Um, so I remember when we were doing the Super Bowl, um, a large, large event over here in the States. And we had beacons all around the Super Bowl Stadium, MetLife Stadium. Um, but, and we wanted to drive people into, into the stadium, um, but we didn't want to annoy people in California because MetLife is on the East Coast. So we basically kind of um, drew a region around, uh, I think it was New York, New Jersey, and, and basically focused a whole bunch of our ca campaigns around that. We used geofencing to do it. Oh, that's very, that's very, that's very cool. So yeah, I mean, I think you know a lot of the geofencing use cases we've just talked about. There, the defenses are quite small, like they're around a specific building or something. And um, but yeah, I mean, geofences can go up to the entire countries or cities. So it can be very easy to use geofencing as a segmentation strategy for what campaigns go to whom. Um, yeah, I think that's that's it, it, it's very effective. Um, 
we kind of look at them more as region targeting instead of geofencing. Mm-hmm. And we kind of take in the last location that someone used your app in. And that's something that we allow people to kind of filter on is where they last used the app, as opposed to, um, and you can kind of segment, segment that down to area codes as opposed to an actual perimeter that people have to, to hit. Very um, good. And then the last one that we had in the list yeah. was remind them to turn on Bluetooth. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I forgot about that one. Um, okay, so if you track the Bluetooth state, which you can do, you can request access for that on iOS and Android to know whether Bluetooth is on or off. And what you want to do is when someone has breached a geofence, usually you get 20 seconds in the background to wake up and do your thing. One of those things that you do could be to check the Bluetooth state. So if you have determined the Bluetooth state to be off, well, then you can pull that back into your segmentation and your marketing automation. And then you could say, you know, don't forget, turn on your Bluetooth. And why? Create a little bit of fear of loss here to be in within a chance of getting top offers uh, based on your location and treats and virtual Easter eggs and make them feel like there's something of value because we all are, are you know, usually operating from a selfish standpoint of what they can get out of the interaction. Um, so yes, by understanding the Bluetooth state, when they hit the fence, if the department store is full of Bluetooth beacons and their Bluetooth's off, they're really going to miss out on what could be an incredible in-store experience. So it's just giving them that little nice nudge or tap on the shoulder to say, hey, why don't you flip on your Bluetooth? You could be missing out. So that's an interesting use case. I love the way you, you, you think of these things in very psychological terms. Do you, is this just kind of, for, for, for Paul's sake, do you spend a lot of time talking to users or, or are you kind of doing the, um, um, uh, the Apple thing where, where reputedly Steve Jobs never had focus groups? He just kind of demanded that people think about the, the user, which, what's your approach? Absolutely. So we use a technique called jobs to be done. Uh, and I'm kind of with Steve Jobs on this one. If you bring people into a room and ask them what they want, they'll give you the wrong answers. A great example of what jobs to be done is the milkshake, a fast food chain, brought all of the people that fit, um, fitted into the profile of the milkshake drinkers into a, into a panel. And they said, you know, do you want your milkshakes chewier, sweeter, more viscosity to the milkshake, whatever it might be. They improved the product along the list of attributes that were given and it had absolutely zero impact on sales. Because customers, when asked directly what they want, they can't really tell you what they want. But when you interview them and you try to figure out what, you know, where they were coming from when they researched a particular solution or why did they download that app or why did they do business with that company? And when you figure out the switching behavior, like what made them switch from DAS to personal washing powder? When you figure out the switching, that's the key in understanding why they switched. And you can, through these interviews, interview process uh, of jobs to be done, you can kind of reverse engineer the outcome the customer has in mind or the job they're looking to get done. So you can do it in this special interview format, and we do that with a number of consumers to try and understand the ways they want to be engaged with. But when you flat out ask them, they give you all this junk. They just don't know. They kind of give you what you think that they, what you want to hear. They're going to give you all these attributes, and it's usually nonsense. So you have to be very careful how you taking this information how you conduct your research so jobs to be done check out on youtube the milkshake plus jobs to be done it's interesting that's very good well i am going to do in in the um, spirit of making this um interesting i'm going to be spontaneous and i'm going to stop the interview now because uh-huh. i think you have done an amazing job we talked about what is a geofence strengths and weaknesses how beacons fit in and then a bunch of great use cases 
And I'm guessing that people watching are just exhausted and they need to have a milkshake or, or have some coffee or something. So let's pause now um, and then, you know, come back next episode and talk about all the other stuff that we were going to talk about, which, and there's a lot, there's, there's, uh, you know, passive and active geofencing. What's the difference between Android and iOS and uh, uh, what people should look for when they're selecting the geofencing technology. So we talked about what, you know, why you should use it, what you can use it for. And now the next session, I suggest we talk about how you do it. Sound okay? Absolutely. Sounds good, Steve. We'll see you in the next episode. All right. Um, so, Patrick, I've been, you know, you come from the land of U2. Uh, I gotta gotta hear what is what are the three songs that you would take with you to Mars? Mm, that's a great that's a great question. Okay, so um, I am a massive um, Daft Punk uh, fan, and um, since we're talking about geofencing, I'm gonna go with uh, Around the World. Um, it also reminds me of exploring the world, I guess, and, and experiencing new cultures and journeys and meeting new people. And that's something that I really, um, really enjoy that really lights me up. And also, you can put geofences anywhere around the world or a virtual perimeter, as we've already discussed. Um, <laughs> uh, since you brought up you 2 they probably wouldn't be my favorite band. But out, of, out of all their stuff, I'd say their song, it goes like, Still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm not sure if that's the actual title. It could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, okay. Well, you don't have to choose them. I, I'm, I just like them, and I always think of them when I go to Dublin. But uh, the, the power of suggest suggestion. I like that song mainly because um, you can find happiness in other people, um, but you'll never be completed. You don't actually love what you do innately, and I think that's probably the message that they have um, in that song. Um, Thirdly, um, Space Oddity, I think, uh, by David Bowie. Make your mark in the world, and stand out from the normal crowd, and, and be something um, be something new, be something uh, different. Well, and he, but he had this amazing ability to be incredibly unique and distinctive, whilst at the same time really listening to the zeitgeist, and you know, you, you follow his career, and, it, and it's incredibly varied. It's not just kind of... Metallica, one, two, three, four. I'm, I'm sure they have developed, but from my outside, they haven't. Absolutely. So they will be my top three. Love it. Thanks very much. Control. I'm stepping through the door.